Uh, it's lovely to be with you again <coughs> today at Hamilton Baptist. And uh, whether you're <coughs> here in the physical, which is really, really nice, <laughs> or whether you're watching online, at home, or wherever you are, then it's, uh, it's lovely to be able to be together in God's presence and to have a look at his word. We've just been worshipping him in, in song. And in fact, that last song there, uh, I was just quite intrigued. Uh, God's people, uh, they, they aren't super brave. They aren't superheroes. And that's a great introduction to what I'd like to talk about today because uh, I'd like to talk about a couple of God's very ordinary people. And uh, we're going to turn to John's Gospel. <clears throat> and if you have a Bible with you, or you have your device and you want to uh, flick to it, John's Gospel in chapter 1, we're going to be reading from verses 43 to 51 in a moment. But just uh, one or two words of introduction. This is the Gospel of John. We've got four Gospels, of course, and they each tell us something about the Lord Jesus, uh, about his coming, why he came, what he did, and uh, his death and his resurrection. And uh, each of them take a slightly different angle. And uh, John's Gospel, when he opens his Gospel, <coughs> he's uh, in, in the very first chapter, John gives a, a magnificent description of who Jesus is. In the first few verses, he describes him as the, the eternal word. He's God. He was with God in the beginning. And then there's a tragic statement about Jesus coming to his own people, verses 10 and 11. And he says, he was in the world, and though the world was made through him, the world did not recognize him. He came to that which was his own, but his own did not receive him. Quite a sad, sad statement. And then, but verse 12 goes on to say that there were those who did receive him, yet to all who did receive him, to those who believe in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. And, uh, you know, <clears throat> people then, there were people there who rejected him, but there were people who believed in him. And there are many today still believing in Jesus. And that's, that's really wonderful. And John the Baptist, of course, he recognized the Lord Jesus and he pointed people to Jesus. In verse 15, John the Baptist testified concerning Jesus. He cried out saying, this is the one I spoke about when I said, he who comes after me has surpassed me because he was before me. Speaking about the eternal son of God. And... Uh, <clears throat> And so John's gospel, that's how he introduces us. Then the apostle John tells us about Jesus' first disciples. Going further on into chapter 1, we've got Andrew and we've got Simon Peter. And we'll hear about them, particularly Peter. He, he was one of God's kind of 
if there can be superheroes, well, he probably was one of them, one of the big hitters of the New Testament up there with the Apostle Paul and so on. <clears throat> but the, the next day, Jesus decided to, to leave Bethsaida, where he was in the, the region of Galilee, and to travel further <clears throat> into Galilee. And, and John in his gospel tells us that Jesus gained two other disciples. Two men that we'll hear very little about, actually, in the Gospels, and yet both became part of Jesus' close inner circle of 12 disciples. And I, I'm staggered at times when I, I look at the disciples, and I've sometimes studied the disciples, <coughs> and looked at their background and, and thought to myself, my you know, look, look who Jesus has chosen to, to be the closest to him. Uh, one of them was a, a revolutionary, and, and we, we can go on, but, but we're going to have a look at uh, two very ordinary people, Nathaniel. So we're going to read from verse, <clears throat> John chapter 1, from verse 43 to 51. And so John, uh, this is how John records it. The next day, Jesus decided to leave for Galilee. Finding Philip, he said to him, follow me. Philip, like Andrew and Peter, was from the town of Bethsaida. Philip found Nathanael and told him, we have found the one Moses wrote about in the law and about whom the prophets also wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. And Nathaniel was fairly cool in his response. Nazareth? Can anything good come from there? He asked. Come and see, said Philip. When Jesus saw Nathaniel approaching, he said of him, here truly is an Israelite in whom there is no deceit. How do you know me? Nathaniel asked Jesus. Jesus answered, I saw you while you were still under the fig tree when before Philip called you. Then Nathaniel declared, Rabbi, <coughs> You are the Son of God. You are the King of Israel. And Jesus said, You believe because I told you I saw you under the fig tree? You will see greater things than that. And Jesus added, Very truly I tell you, you will see heaven open and the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. Sure, God will bless to us the public reading of his inspired scripture. <clears throat> so Philip and Nathaniel, two of God's very ordinary people. Philip, who was he? Well, we need to clear the ground a wee bit because the New Testament mentions four Philips. Uh, they're all different. Uh, there was one mentioned, the half-brother of Herod Antipas and uh, the local king, Matthew 14, we read about him. It's not that Philip. And then Luke, the historian, records Herod Philip, who ruled over Iturea and Trachonitis in Luke chapter 3. It wasn't that Philip. And then, of course, going into the Acts of the Apostles, 
We read of Philip the Evangelist. He was a strong, mature believer. In Acts chapter 6, we read that he became one of the, the deacons serving the church and the administration and so on of the different ministries of the first church. But not only that, his gifts weren't just a limited to administration but actually he was a fine evangelist and in Acts chapter 8 he took the message of the Lord Jesus to the people of Samaria and to the Ethiopian eunuch but that wasn't this is not our Philip either our Philip here seems to be a quiet man reflective very ordinary we might say apart from him appearing in the lists of the disciples in the Gospels, he doesn't really feature at all in Matthew and Mark and Luke. Now, he's mentioned in John's Gospel several times. <coughs> in fact, John chapter 6 and verse 7, this is the feeding of the 5,000 when, when there's a whole crowd there and, and the Lord is going to feed them. And, and it was Philip that said, but, but Lord, it would take more than half a year's wages to buy enough bread for each one to even have a bite. That's Philip. And then in John chapter 12, uh, some, some pagan Greeks, they, they came and they, they wanted to speak to Jesus. And so they came to Philip. And Philip sort of kind of must have stroked his chin and, and then went to Andrew and, and spoke to Andrew. And then they both eventually went and spoke to Jesus. Uh, and then in John 14 and verse 8, <coughs> it was Philip that says, Lord, show us the Father and that will be enough for us. And Jesus answered, don't you know me, Philip? Even after all this time I've been among you, don't you know me? And, and we get the feeling that Philip was a man who at times was slightly out of his depth. Now, I can identify with Philip very much because as a believer in Jesus, eh, I have sometimes felt completely out of my depth. And there's no shame in that because the Lord thankfully knows us as we are and he called Philip to be one of his 12 inner disciples so Philip in spite of his uh, being out of his depth at times uh, not one of the big hitters like Peter or John but in this incident we learn some very interesting things about Philip I'd like us to, to look at together now when Jesus sought Philip out <coughs> they must have spent some quality time together. One of the things I find frustrating about the Gospels is that, well, th there are certain incidents that we get a lot of details about, but there are other incidents that appear to be really, really compressed. And this is one of them. <clears throat> Verse 43, uh, the next day Jesus decided to leave for Galilee. Finding Philip, he said to him, follow me. And then we're told, Philip, in the next verse, like Andrew and Peter, was from the town of Bethsaida. Okay. And then in verse 45, Philip found Nathanael and, you know, wanted him to come to meet Jesus too. What happened in between? And I think what happened in between was that Philip would have spent a day or so with Jesus. And as a result, Philip was utterly amazed at Jesus, so amazed, so convinced about who Jesus was that he had to share it. He immediately shared what he'd found with his friend Nathaniel. And of course, this is a massive lesson for us followers of Jesus today. 
we need to be careful that we're not just sharing religion with people. There's enough religion around. Uh, we need to be careful that we don't always rush to share just simply viewpoints or opinions, although sometimes our viewpoint from a biblical point of view is, is necessary in the conversation. But what we need to primarily do is to share Jesus with people. And Philip, like every devout Jewish person, knew <clears throat> that the Jewish scriptures, our Old Testament, spoke of God one day sending the saviour of the world. And in the short time that Philip spent with Jesus, he knew instinctively that Jesus was the one these Old Testament scriptures, his Jewish scriptures, had been pointing to. In verse 45, he, he gushed out with pure undiluted enthusiasm. He says to Nathaniel, we've Moses wrote about in the law. And that is, what does he mean? Well, the first five books of the Bible were called the law or the, the books of Moses. And Philip was probably thinking about passages written 1,500 years before this. Passages like Deuteronomy 18 and 15 where Moses says, the Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me from among you, from your fellow Israelites. You, you must, you need to listen to him. And there'll be many, many devout Jewish people waiting for that day. And, uh, <clears throat> and then there would be uh, other verses as well. And, and these devout Jews, as they looked forward so long to the one that God would send that the scriptures talked about, and also the Old Testament prophets spoke of coming one day. The prophet Isaiah had things to say. It's chapter 7, verse 14. We know many of these verses because we, we, we look at them at Christmas time. We need to look at them just more than Christmas time because they're important. Therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son. And you will call him Emmanuel. Isaiah 9 and 6, for unto us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. When is he coming? When is he coming? And Micah 5 and 2, but you, Bethlehem Ephrathah, though you're small among the clans of Judah, out of you will come for me one who will be ruler over Israel, whose origins are from of old, from ancient times, from eternity. When, when is he coming? Well, you know, there was Philip spent a day with Jesus. And I, I really wonder uh, if in actual fact what was happening was uh, that Jesus was the fulfillment of the Jewish scriptures, our Old Testament. And it reminds me, you remember, of the two on the Emmaus Road after the resurrection. And then in retrospect, what they said was, didn't our hearts burn within us? And what had Jesus been doing? He'd been explaining the scriptures about the things concerning himself. And then they realized that on that journey, as this stranger was expounding the scriptures, and then they realized afterwards that their hearts had been burning, and here they were walking with the one whom the very scriptures testified to. 
And unlike the religious establishment of Jesus' day, who knew the scriptures inside out and back to front, and yet they refused to recognize Jesus and who he was. I'll give you an example of that if we turn over to John chapter 5, verses 39 and 40. And this is Jesus speaking to the religious establishment. He said, you study the scriptures diligently because you think that in them you have eternal life. These are the very scriptures that testify about me, yet you refuse to come to me to have life. There they were. They had the scriptures. They knew them back to front. But they refused to recognize the one that the scriptures pointed to. And actually it reminds me of so much liberal Christianity that goes on today. When I did formal theological studies in London, some of my professors, they knew the Greek, they knew the Hebrew, they knew the scriptures back to front. They, they had a far better knowledge of the scriptures than I would ever have. But they didn't believe them. It was just a book. A very, very interesting book. But it was just a book. And they couldn't see Jesus in them. There's none so blind as those who will not see. But those who were open with eyes to see. Spending time in the presence of the incarnate Son of God. They knew that they were in the presence of deity itself. And that's why I love that verse again, going back to John chapter 1, verse 14. The word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen, this is John, this is John testifying. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only son who came from the father full of grace and truth. And John never ever forgot that experience. And in his first letter, further over towards the end of the New Testament, he talks in his first letter about that which we've seen, that which we've heard, that which we've touched with our hands. The Son of God, the, the experience, the wonder of it never left John. And so Philip just couldn't keep all this to himself. And this is the very essence of evangelism. One person telling another person about Jesus. You know, there are hundreds and hundreds of papers and books written about how to do evangelism. In Istanbul, sometimes people would bring their latest theories of this and theories of that and evangelism. And, and some of it sounded awful clever. And, uh, but, you know, here in one short incident, we've got a master class in evangelism. Philip had been so blown away by Jesus, so filled with hope and faith that he just had to tell Nathaniel. And this is a massive challenge to all of us. Do we share with others about Jesus just as Philip did? And when Nathaniel expressed some skepticism, can any good come out of Nazareth? Philip's response was classic. Why don't you just come and see? And this is the essence, you know, of evangelism, introducing others to Jesus. That's Philip. <laughs> We're going to go into Nathaniel. And uh, scholars tell us that he's to be identified with the Bartholomew that we read in the lists of the disciples. It's not unusual in that culture for people to have two names. 
and uh, Nathaniel's first reaction to Philip's invite to meet Jesus was not entirely positive. Uh, Nazareth, they were all, this is interesting, they were all Galileans. They knew that the, metropoli- <coughs> the, the metropolitan elite in Jerusalem looked down on the Galilean country bumpkins with their thick, distinctive accents. You remember uh, when the Lord Jesus was arrested and he was taken in uh, to, the, to the Roman palace and Peter was there. What was it that gave him away? It was his accent, his thick Galilean accent. But the thing is, although the Galileans suffered a bit of discrimination from the metropolitan elite, the Galileans themselves weren't above discriminatory attitudes either. Nazareth, the back of beyond, obscure, unremarkable little place, famous for nothing. A bit like where I come from originally, Stenhouse Muir. Although Stenhouse Muir does have a football team. But Nathaniel, he must have been racking his brains and, and, and thought, well, there's no mention of Nazareth that I can think of in the, in the scriptures in connection with God's Messiah. Not any explicit reference anyway. And it would be later, of course, that Nathaniel would learn that Jesus, though from Nazareth, had been born in Bethlehem, the city of David, which the given. Nathaniel didn't let his initial scepticism prevent him from at least meeting Jesus. You know, there are so many people today that, that they're blinded and crippled by their own scepticism that they refuse even to consider Jesus. And when Jesus saw Nathaniel coming, he gave him a compliment, revealing to us something of Nathaniel's character. This is important. And Jesus says, here, here comes Nathaniel, in whom there is no deceit. Or the older translations say, in whom there is no guile. Nathaniel may have been a little a thoroughly honest questioning. An honest questioning from the heart. And there's nothing wrong with that. It's not the kind of hate-filled, cynical scepticism of the militant atheist that we sometimes experience uh, today. And when we have genuine questions about faith, we shouldn't be, you know, be afraid to express them. We need to take them to God. And, you know, I've learned over the years that God is much, much bigger than any of our questions. We may not always find an answer to our questions uh, when we ask them, but that doesn't mean that there aren't answers. And, and what, what I've done over the years, because uh, I've had a, a number of unanswered questions, I still have a few unanswered questions, and what I've done is I've developed a little shelf in my mind, and I call it the unanswered questions shelf and if there is a question that I have that I just can't seem to find an answer to and it might even be impacting my faith then I put it on the shelf and say I'm going to leave it there for a bit because I'm sure in time the Lord will 
answer that question and it's amazing over the years uh, just how many of these questions have actually been answered sometimes in a conversation with someone who's a lot more spiritually mature than me sometimes maybe reading the scriptures or reading scriptures that I've been familiar with but actually haven't noticed something that's there the incredible depth of scripture and, and the thing is, what we've got to do, because I've, I've spent time with people who have had a question, and they haven't been able to let that question go, and it's been like a revolving loop again and again and again, and it has prevented them from moving on in the faith, and it has tripped them up and tripped them up. Questions are fine, and it's good to ask questions, but if we don't have an answer yet, put it on a wee shelf in the Lord in his time, uh, <clears throat> if he wishes to, uh, we'll answer it. Verse 48, Jesus said something to Nathanael that went straight to his heart. He had the distinct impression that he just met someone for the very first time, just met Jesus for the very first time, and yet someone who knew him through and through. That must have been quite unnerving. Nathaniel asked, how, how do you know me? I mean, you've only just seen me coming. How do you know me? And Jesus' answer, that blew Nathaniel away. We have no idea what Jesus was referring to when he said that he saw Nathaniel under the fig tree before Philip had called him to meet Jesus. But we do know this, it absolutely shocked Nathaniel. Nobody had known where Nathaniel had been sitting before Philip came, and Nathaniel was possibly sitting under a fig tree, meditating possibly, but Jesus knew exactly where he was. And, and it's interesting because the text says, uh, you know, that Jesus said, I saw you when you were sitting under the fig tree. The fig tree. Well, what's the significance of that, Derek? Well, the thing is, fig trees in the Middle East grow like weeds. And even in Istanbul, in almost every street that we stayed on, there were wild fig trees. Everywhere, everywhere, fig trees. But Jesus, it's as if Jesus is saying, I saw you and I even know the fig tree that you were sitting under. But in that statement from Jesus, Nathaniel knew he was in the presence of someone who was all-knowing, all-seeing. The thing is, Jesus knows everything about us. We can't hide anything from him. I'm going to say that again. We can't hide anything from him. We need to be clear about that. And that, you know, there are many people who have experienced <clears throat> coming to Jesus and feeling enormous relief that they no longer had anything to hide because he knew them and he knew what they were like. Sometimes as Christians it's possible to get into things that no one else knows and we're ashamed and we're ashamed even to come to Jesus and confess. He already knows. We need to confess and leave these things knowing that he knows already all about them. John chapter 4, John relates an amazing encounter. 
Jesus had with a woman who was basically immoral and living as an outcast on the fringes of her society. Remember the woman at the well. And when she slowly discovered who Jesus was, her testimony was this to the people in her town. Come, see a man who told me everything I ever did. And we can also add all the bad things as well as the good things. And she says, is not this the Christ? That was a testimony. Whatever we've done and whatever we may be like, we can come to Jesus knowing that he knows us already. Maybe you're here today or you're watching online and you've never ever come to Jesus in faith. Just like the children's talk that we saw at the beginning there. Uh, And we've never come to Jesus. We've never experienced forgiveness from him. And maybe we feel we've done too much. We've seen too much. We've been too bad. No such thing. Jesus knows what we've done. We can come in repentance. Believing in him. Verse 49. What was Nathaniel's reaction to all of this? He confessed and he testified to who Jesus was, the Son of God, the long-awaited King of Israel. And uh, in verse 50, Nathanael's doubts were, were blown away by learning that Jesus knew him and knew all about him. But Jesus said to Nathanael, he said, Nathanael, you believe in me because I told you that I saw you under the fig tree? You're going to see greater things than that, Nathanael. And so Nathanael would. And then Jesus said something very important to Nathanael. Uh, we need to take note when Jesus says these uh, things. Truly, truly, or very truly, or in all the translations, verily, verily. And it just means, I am going to tell you a truth. Literally, it actually means, amen and amen. Uh, you know, uh, is absolutely true. It's, it's a literary device that signals that whatever uh, follows is of the utmost importance and is utterly true and needs to be taken on board. And John records Jesus using this phrase 26 times in his gospel. This is the first time. And Jesus speaks with ultimate authority, with divine authority. And now Jesus refers to an incident in Genesis 28, when God appears to Jacob, one of Israel's patriarchs, in a dream. And Jacob sees a ladder stretching from earth to heaven with angels ascending and descending on it. And God spoke to Jacob from the top of the stairway and gave him a very, very important promise, which was important for the future of God's people, Israel. But Jesus was saying to Nathaniel, one day he would see heaven open. There won't be a ladder like Jacob's ladder, but the ladder between God and earth would be Jesus himself, the Son of Man himself. And that was why the Apostle Paul, when he's writing to his young colleague Timothy, he's writing in his first letter to Timothy in chapter 2 and verses 5 and 6, and he could say this, for there is one mediator, we saw in the children's talk, one bridge between God and man, uh, between God and humankind, the man Christ Jesus, who gave himself as a ransom 
for all people. And so Jesus later on, John records, could say, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. And so Nathaniel very soon, in fact, within the next few days of Jesus and his disciples arriving in Cana in Galilee, he would see Jesus perform an outstanding miracle of mercy at a wedding, changing water into wine and so saving the face of the bridal family from acute shame and embarrassment should the supplies have run out on a wedding day. And that was just the start. Nathaniel, as a disciple of Jesus, would be privileged to see the Son of Man reveal his divine glory in countless ways as heaven touched earth over the next three years. When Jesus said, you shall see to Nathaniel, he's referring to his entire life and ministry as he demonstrates in vivid word and action the coming of God's kingdom. And Nathaniel and the others would see heaven open. They'd witness firsthand many of the miraculous and compassionate healings, the authoritative teaching of the Lord Jesus, the revelation of deity in Christ's life, the sacrificial atoning sacrifice the death of Jesus on the cross for the sins of the world, for your sins, for, for my sins, and then the God vindicating resurrection from the dead on the third day. Yeah, ordinary Nathaniel and the others, they would see all that as they witnessed in Jesus the meeting point of heaven's glory and earth's need. And so we don't read much of Nathaniel again, except in the list become one of Jesus' twelve disciples. Now surely Paul was right when he wrote to the believers in Corinth in 1 Corinthians chapter 1. And this is what he said in verse 26. Brothers and sisters, think of what you were when you were called not many of you were wise by human standards. Not many were influential. Not many were of noble birth. But God chose the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. God chose the weak things of the world to shame the strong. And so we should be very encouraged today when we read about God's little people. People like Philip and Nathaniel. People just like you and me. And Jesus knows everything about us, and yet he wants to use each of us for his glory. And that is good news. Let's just pray together. Father, as we've looked into your word today we realize that we've really just scraped the surface your word is so so deep and so penetrating and so we ask today that you would help us to understand all that you would have for us today from your word and help us lord to imbibe that and help us to see 
what you want us to see today. And, and we pray, Lord, we'd work that out so that we become effective and more effective servants of yours, that we might bring you glory. In his name, amen.